This is good. This is good. Well, it's so good to be here again. Welcome uh, to OVV. Welcome to, uh, again, it's a little quieter uh, right now as summer comes on and people start getting up to the cottage and I always feel like there's been a church split or something like that. But, uh, but really people are just uh, getting out there and doing their thing and, uh, and it's good. And I, I'm looking forward to my holidays in the summer too. So, so that's really good. But I'm so glad you've come. Um, you know, what, one thing I've wanted to do for a little while is to just take a passage of, of Scripture and, uh, and just in, in a bit more of an in-depth way than we sometimes do, just sort of tear it apart and look at it. And the piece that uh, has been really um, resonating with me recently is just a, a psalm, a, a piece of the Scriptures that's just been repeating and repeating and repeating for me has been Psalm 18. And, uh, and, and just, it seems like, you know, every now and then there's just this passage of scripture where everywhere you turn, you're, you're just running into it and the Lord is showing you, uh, something out of it. So, uh, Psalm 18 is where we're going to sit actually for the next three weeks, which is sort of a long period of time to look at one specific passage. But I just want us to really dig into that, uh, together and see what the Lord does. Uh, what we're going to see as we look at it and we read it is that, uh, Psalm 18 is this, uh, written into a song, written into a story. It's, it's the journey of the heart that David takes uh, throughout a really large portion of his life. Uh, the psalm was written really uh, to, to be a description of David's journey with God uh, during the time when he was in the wilderness running from Saul. Now, some of you might know what that means, or that might just be gobbledygook for you, but David was a famous king over Israel. Like, uh, uh, really, as even today, uh, Jewish people look back to the reign of David as the height, the pinnacle of, of health and life in the Jewish nation. And, but prior to that, uh, David was, uh, was a man who was on the run from the king that he was succeeding. Uh, the king who was the first anointed king over Israel was a man named Saul. And early on in Saul's journey, he, he strayed from the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the community through the prophets and anointed David as the new king of Israel. And how many of you know that when you're the king and then the Lord anoints somebody else as king, you're not necessarily happy with the somebody else? <laughs> and that was Saul. He was not happy with this young upstart and certainly not happy with the prophet uh, Samuel who, was, uh, un- who had anointed David as king. And uh, David tried to serve and tried to love Saul and tried to care for him all through that journey. But eventually it came to the place where David was kicked out of Saul's home uh, kicked out of the, the 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 big house, kicked out of Jerusalem, really, and was just left fleeing in the hills, like just running in the hills. And as Saul was out and about doing battles uh, with the Philistines and and trying to keep the land together and and just doing what kings do, Saul would always take these little side missions and go to try and find David and take him out. And so David's journey uh, through Psalm 18 starts in that spot where he's just under it. He is just under it. He's underneath the, the weight of oppression, the fear of being killed. He's hiding in the hills. Uh, he has no resource for he and his men. Like he's just in a place of great struggle. And, and the psalm takes us all the way through his journey with God and really uh, up to like 10 chapters of the book of 2 Samuel. 
or of 1 Samuel rather, the last 10 chapters of 1 Samuel from uh, chapter uh, 20 all the way through to chapter 30 are that story of David uh, having been anointed as king but not yet king and running and hiding in the wilderness. And so that really is a descriptor for some of our circumstance. Uh, As people in the kingdom of God, people who love Jesus and follow him, uh, we're ultimately, we've been set apart as children of God, right? We're set apart as heirs of God. Uh, We look forward to this great future that we have as people uh, being co-heirs with Jesus, reigning with him. Uh, on the earth when he reestablishes his kingdom in its fullness. Uh, But how many of you know that that sense of the fullness of the coming of the kingdom of God in our lives doesn't feel like right now, right? It just doesn't feel like life right now. It's not where we're at. We're much more in this place of struggle. And so from that place of struggle, uh, David begins to speak. And I'm just going to read uh, Psalm 18. I'm going to read the first part of it. It's 40 verses, so we, we're not going to read the whole thing today. We'll read uh, the rest in the next couple of weeks, but um, we want to just read this, this beginning, and then I'll, I'll unpack a little bit for us. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it, and he parted the heavens and came down. He parted the heavens and came down. And so what we see in Psalm 18, when you unpack the whole of the chapter, all 40 verses, is we see uh, David giving an introduction. He's going to tell us what he talks about uh, throughout the whole of the thing. He's going to give this little summary, verses 1 to 3. Uh, there's the cry of David's heart that he begins to talk about. He, he cries out to the Lord. The Lord hears David. The Lord responds in his heart to David. So we hear the emotional response of God's heart to David. And there's something important theologically to unpack there. Uh, then the Lord fights for David in the following verses. The Lord delivers David. He, he changes his circumstances and moves him from one place to another place. Then David reflects on his experience. Then he reflects on God's place in his experience. And then he begins to give glory to God for what's happened and what's changed. He gives glory to God. Uh, And then he begins to talk about the new reality of life in partnership with God. 
and then he begins to give praise. He begins to just worship and give praise. And when we look at this and when we unpack it and we see this incredible progression from a place of, of utter destitution and brokenness and hiding in the hills to the restoration of his place as king and the transformation in his heart that takes place through all of that, we see a progression that's just very familiar to us and happens in our own lives time and time again in relationship with the Lord, right? We cry out. The Lord hears. The Lord responds. The Lord fights for us and delivers us. Uh, then we go, what the heck happened there? <laughs> we think about it. Uh, we see God's hand in it. We give testimony. We give glory to God for what he's done. Uh, we begin to try to understand the new reality of this life, having been transformed for God. And then we just stand back and we look at it all and we worship and we praise God. And, uh, and it's being really honest through those phases, really honest through those parts of the journey that, that are what's really key for us as people. Because uh, that transition from the cry to praise is not an easy transition, is it? <laughs> it's not an easy transition. And David just pours his heart out so honestly through the whole thing. So let's just begin to unpack a little bit of it. Uh, when David is introducing the subject, he's saying, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And David just starts to tell us where he's going to end. He just starts with love. He just starts with, uh, and this word love just speaks of just not, not so much a, a, an intellectual or a rational committed love to God, but he's just talking about a heartfelt, passionate love for God. At this point, David loves God from his heart. I love you, O Lord, my strength. He says this, he says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God in whom I take refuge. And that's all the story from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20 to 30. Uh, this is one of the caves that very likely David was hiding in while well, he was hiding from Saul. Uh, hiding in one of these places of refuge in the hills. At one point, he had almost 600 men with him that were traveling about the countryside, doing battle with the Philistines, uh, fighting military victories on behalf of the nation of Israel at that time, uh, and, and at the same time, having to hide from the leader of the nation for whom he was fighting. And so he's living in this bizarre place where he's fighting to live and fighting to fulfill uh, the, the purpose of God in his life and at the same time fighting against the authorities around him that don't want to release him in this, in this work, that don't want to release him in this battle, that are jealous of his victories and jealous of everything he does. And so David is hiding in the hills, hiding in these dark places. Um, it's described... Um, like this, uh, just, just, I'm just going to give us a moment, uh, just a, a glimpse of this in, in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, he says this, he says, uh, he's understanding this place of being attacked. Uh, he's understanding this place of, of being in pain. And I don't have that note there. Um, I'm going to just pull it out. Sorry, I thought I had that pasted in. That's why we keep the Bible handy. This isn't just a prop, you know. Yeah, so David has left Gath, and he's escaped uh, to the cave of Adullam. So he's an, there's another cave. And this, some people think that you see in the image there, is actually that cave of Adullam. And it says, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. 
and all those who were in distress, in debt, or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader, and there were about 400 men with him. And it says, and from there David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? And so he's just in this place of, I don't even know what God is going to do with me. I don't even know what the Lord is going to do. It says, he called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and he's been saved from his enemies. So he knows what it's like to need to be saved. He knows what it's like to need to be saved. And we as people, we have such low expectations for God's deliverance, don't we? we? We know that we need to be saved. We know that we need help. But so often we feel like our call is simply to endure and not necessarily having the courage to cry out to God and say, God, I need you to lift me up. But he calls out to the Lord because the Lord is worthy to be praised. And out of that praise comes salvation. And so here's the cry. Verse 4, the cords of death entangled me. Have you ever felt like that? It can be sickness. That can be debt. That can be um, a, a bad relationship. That can be uh, relational pain. That can be turmoil in your marriage. That can be uh, the loss of a child. That can be the sickness of you or the sickness of a loved one. That can be when an accident has happened, a car accident. It can be so many spaces in life where it feels like the cords of death entangle me. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. And all through uh, second, or First Samuel 20 through 30, he's just running and fleeing and running and fleeing and hiding. And he's asking this question, what will I do until I learn what God will do for me? There's something about life in that place of pain, life in that place of struggle that is just simply uncertainty. Isn't it? There's just uncertainty. There's just, I don't know what the Lord is going to do with this situation. I don't know what the Lord is going to do. I, I've got a medical test coming up next week, and I don't know what I'm going to find out. Uh, I've got uh, to meet with this person uh, later on, and, and I don't know whether this is going to be a good meeting or is this going to be a really bad meeting. There's, there's uncertainty. There's not knowing how things are going to turn out. And David is just hiding all over the place. This is just a little map of David's journeys. And you'll notice that there's not a single big city or place of commerce on the map. He's hiding in these tiny little villages. And he's just, he's just under it. He's just under it. He's, he's in pain. Uh, but what we see is that Nowhere in the scripture is David, David rebuked for crying out to God from that place. We don't see any place where he feels shame or embarrassed about crying out to God. And this cry is actually celebrated. He's always, and we see it in this psalm and we see it in psalm after psalm. David is like, I freaked out. I freaked out. I cried. I wept. It was miserable. Just want everybody to know. You know, we don't really hear that in our modern worship songs all that much, right? I'm freaking out, God! 
right? We don't, we don't see that real honest, gut-wrenching cry. But nowhere in the scriptures is, does David seem to be embarrassed at all about that. It, it, it's natural for him. It's normal for him. I, I'm going to cry out to God. I, I need help, so, so I'm going where the help is. And he's unashamed and unembarrassed. But we have this crazy thing in our culture that is kind of a machismo. It's kind of a, uh, an independence. We all kind of imagine we're like the Terminator. We all kind of imagine like we're some of these famous, uh, you know, cowboys from these old Western movies. Like bullets flying everywhere and, and people freaking out and, and battles in the streets. And we're just like, oh, yeah. Totally cool about it. But Jesus is okay with the freak out. Jesus is completely okay with the freak out. He's okay with the panic. He's okay with the cry. And if you unpack that cry a little bit, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. Uh, That first word, I called to the Lord, uh, ikre is is the Hebrew word, and that means I proclaimed and I argued rationally means I proclaimed to the Lord. I, I told him in an organized fashion what the problem is. God, I just want you to know what's up. I'm sure you're not aware of the situation. I'm sure you've been uninformed. I should have sent you an email some weeks ago. I should have let you know that I was in this situation, God. In case you haven't noticed, Saul has got his army and he's traveling through the hills and, and, and I want you to know that he is trying to kill me. You should be aware of the situation. And my parents have no place to stay. And my men have no food. And we're working really hard from you, God. Uh, But uh, we want you to know that's our situation. Just thought we'd keep you updated. (laughs) Right? So he's proclaiming that to the Lord. He's explaining that rationally. So that's that first word. I called to the Lord. It's a rational uh, explanation to the Lord of why we need his help. The second word there, I cried to the Lord, asawi, asawia, is a Hebrew word that means, help! <laughs> help! It's a heart-wrenching gut-wrenching cry from the deepest part of you. And what we see in the passage is that both the rational call and the heart-rending cry are legitimate forms of communication with God. They're both legit. They're both coming out of David's heart and his mind and his soul at the same time. And, and, and if we're honest, they both want to come out of us. We, in our rationalistic modern culture, we have a tendency to definitely emphasize the rational. <laughs> right? But if we're honest, our hearts sometimes just need to cry out to God. They just need to cry out to God. We just need to get on our knees and on our faces and get honest with God about what we're really feeling, what we're really wrestling with in the caves, in our life in the caves, in our life in the hills. That God isn't threatened by the cry. God isn't threatened by uh, the proclamation. He, he doesn't mind the email. 
and he doesn't mind the shout. They both reach the heart of God. And this is how they reach the heart of God. It says, the Lord hears. It says, from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And that word cry in this instance is a word that's somewhere in between those two extremes. So it's again a third word for cry that we have translated into English. But it's a word that sort of speaks to a general uh, speaking out to the Lord. It's a summation of everything from the proclamation, the rational, to the gut-wrenching. From his temple he heard my voice. Well, what does that mean from his temple? That means he heard it in the secret place. He heard it in a holy place. He heard it in an intimate place. He heard it in a place where God and man meets. God meets us in the cry. God meets us in the honest cry. He doesn't hear it uh, wake, it doesn't wake him up from his bed. He doesn't get it in his office. He doesn't get it while he's on the bus, checking his email. Right? He doesn't get it while he's going about his business. He gets it in this place of holiness and this place of worship as though the cry is something sacred to him. David understands that that crying out to the Lord and the way it's heard from him, that there's something holy in it. There's something sacred in it. It says this, and he heard my voice. And that word, that's, a, that's an incredible word for David to use. It's not just hear with my ear. Uh, the word in, in Hebrew is yisma. And what it's most often translated in is, as, is actually obey. It's most often translated as obey. From his temple, he obeyed my voice. And we know that God is under no compulsion to obey man. And we, we would see that as an idolatry. But, but God uses this language, speaking through the heart of David, to make it abundantly clear that what he hears in the temple moves him. What he hears in the temple stirs his heart. You know, there's just so much uh, coming out of uh, modern Christianity. There's so much about prayer uh, that would say, I mean, even, even famous quotes like uh, C.S. Lewis, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Right, that from a, from a real modern perspective, we, we understand that. But, but the ancients had a, had a much different understanding than we've gained of God maybe in the last few centuries. A plainer reading of the text time and time again understands that God is a God who responds to his people. Now he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he knows everything, he's unchanging. But by his choice... According to his heart, according to his love for humanity, he's limited himself or allowed himself to be moved by the cries of people. He allows himself to be moved by your pain, allows himself to be moved by your cry. He is not an unemotional God. He is not a rational God that we see, we, we imagine when we imagine something omnipotent and omniscient, we imagine something that is just unable to be affected by 
things that are happening. We imagine something that's a computer, don't we? I am God. These are the rules. This is the Bible. I will take this. I will compute it all, and we will do this or we won't do that based on the rules. Is that how we imagine God to be sometimes? But he's not. We do not see in the scriptures a God who is a computer. We do not see a God who is an app. We do not see a God who is software. God is more than your iPhone. Or that other kind of device that runs that other kind of software. He's a God who responds with his guts. And we we just see it. It's not an anthropomorphism. So what it says here, when when my cry came before him and into his ears, what, what it's saying is that your cry was internalized by God. It entered into him. It didn't just come up on a screen as something he could read and then he knew that information. Right? It came up before God and he's like, okay, I've got that on the screen. I see all the cries of the people in humanity from here in my control room and I see that one going on in India and this one over here is happening in China and there's some people crying out to me in North America. How are we going to make this whole thing work together? That, that's not God. He's not in the control room looking at the screens. Right? The cry entered his ears. It went inside of him. And, and, and David uses this word that's so close to obey. It's so close to obey. It's not, but it's so close to it. It's that cry came before him. He heard it. He was moved by it. He was changed by it. It, it caused him to act in a certain way. And so what is the Lord's first response to that cry that enters into to him from you. What is his first response? And this was something I felt really, really tangibly. We had a prayer meeting for someone at OVV that we love who was sick, and we gathered around them to pray. And I remember as we were praying for this person and, and we were hearing about the sickness that the person was, was struggling with, I, I kept having this kind of a, a sense of God speaking in me, a sense of God moving in me, but my response was a response of anger. Like, I am angry at this sickness. Like, this isn't something that I want to accept. This isn't something that I can just be okay with. There was something in me that was rising up. There's something in me that was like, there's an injustice here. This isn't the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. This isn't God's ultimate design for humanity. This isn't the end of his story. And we hear that in the heart of the Lord. The cry enters his ears, and it says, The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. And he parted the heavens and came down. Our God is a God who responds to the pain and the struggle and the injustice and he wants to act. When we sin against him, 
while he forgives us, he is still able to be, because he is God, an angry God. Does that scare anybody just a little? When I hurt someone, when I tell a lie, when I gossip, when I uh, tear someone down, when I speak unkindly of them, what is the Lord's response on behalf of that person? He's an angry God. He responds on your behalf. And if you want to understand how that works, like we don't want to imagine God angry at us, right? Does anybody like that thought? Nobody likes that thought, right? But if you're someone who's had your daughter abducted and mistreated, then can you imagine a just and angry God? So God is a God who responds to the needs of the world and the pain of the world and the brokenness of the world in a really honest way. So what does God do with his anger? Theologically, what does God do with his anger against you? When you sin. His anger that you've hurt another human. What does he do with it? Well, he delivers it to the cross. Right? He delivers it to the cross. God moves in justice on the earth today, just as he moved in justice on the earth in David's day. But in David's day, he visited justice uh, by rising up armies and anointing kings to destroy other kings because that was all that humanity could understand in that space and time. But at a certain point 2,000 years ago, humanity was ready for him to reveal justice in a different way, the justice of a God who would visit his righteous wrath, his righteous anger upon himself. And that's what the cross of Jesus is about. God takes the wrath, the anger of the brokenness, the sin, the fallenness of humanity, the injustice done against us and the injustice done by us. And he visits that wrath for those who so choose it upon himself. As you said before, he's the God who gives himself the spanking. And so he parts the heavens and comes down. Where in David's day he came down with lightning and fire and justice. And we understand what some of that meant in that time. Now when we think of Jesus, when we think of God parting the heavens and coming down, we think of a little baby born in a little manger in Bethlehem. He parted the heavens and came down. And upon himself, who walked and talked on the earth and discipled his disciples, they let himself, his son, be crucified on a Roman cross to cover for that injustice and that pain.
And if we accept that, then that is how we are saved. Justice is done. The love of God is satisfied in that he pours his life out for himself, on himself, for humanity. He pours out anger on himself. And he is both in that fully loving and fully just. Fully loving and fully just. Both are completely satisfied in the cross. And so the question for us is, will we just let God be who he is? And will we let him respond? Will we let him respond? And will we accept his response? For your sin and for my sin, will we let him come down in blazing fire with blazing coals and see justice done and visited upon himself at the cross? Will we accept that he did that for us? And will we accept that that's how he loves us? He's the judge who smacks his gavel on the bench and says, guilty is charged. Let me serve your sentence. You can go free. You can go free. That's an amazing, amazing gift. An amazing gift. So while God is unchanging, all-powerful, all-knowing, and has no reason to be affected by you at all. In love, he allows his heart to be moved by your cry. Let's stand. Father, would you acquaint us, freshly acquaint us with who you really are. That we would really see you, that that our prayer would be meaningful. That we would see you as a God who responds to the cries of his people. We would see you as a God who longs to move on the earth. The God who longs to act. The God who longs to partner with us in proclaiming his love. Proclaiming his heart for humanity. Both the standard of your holiness and the passionate love that you have for us. Would we have hearts like David's? Their hearts after your own heart. Hearts modeled after your heart. Hearts that cry out against injustice. And hearts that seek to see your love applied. Hearts that are filled with faith that believe that when we cry out, it enters into you and transforms and changes and moves you. Not because you're weak and movable, but because you choose in love to let your heart be moved by your people.
Would you let us see you as a passionate and loving God? Would you call us deeper into prayer? Would you call us deeper in honesty? And as we unpack the rest of this passage, would you help us to see the God who saves, the God who delivers, and the God who sets us free? I sense that there's just some of us here that you you need to be able to hear the Lord's heart in that he's he's actually angry at some injustice that's done to you. That you've had things happen to you that uh, are wrong. You've had you've been wronged by by parents. You've been uh, rejected by fathers. You've been left and abandoned. And you need to hear the Lord and, and hear the honest heart of the Lord that he's angry about that. And that his heart is moved by the pain that you feel. That he loves you that much that he allows himself to be moved by the pain that you feel. And in that, he doesn't abandon you. And there's some of us on the other side where we've hurt others and we've wounded others and we've offended the heart of God. And you need to hear him say, that's paid for and I'm paying for it. You can't imagine a God that would actually set you free from guilt. That would actually set you free. That would actually resolve his anger in any way that doesn't fall on you. But the wrath of God is satisfied in Jesus. And you are free. Would you just come into those situations, those who've been wronged and those who are carrying guilt, and would you let them sense your heart in that space? Your heart for them, your love for them. And would you let healing flow?
So Lord, would you, as you send us from this place, send us into uh, a deeper sense of prayer, uh, a sense that it matters, a sense that relationship with you is not uh, something impersonal that happens on the screen you're watching, but something that happens inside you. Something that happens in this place where we meet you, that happens in the temple. 